Okay. He is risen. Amen. All right, I have one verse I'm going to read. Would you stand as I read God's word? It's out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Just one verse. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Father, I pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. In, G- in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning I want to talk to you about remembering the resurrection. Remembering the resurrection. Now, that may seem strange to you because since we're Christians, most of us, maybe all of us here are Christians, it's like saying, remember that you're alive, right? We gather on Sunday. Why do we gather on Sunday? Because it's the day Christ was raised. Um. But that's what the Apostle Paul exhorts us to do in this verse. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And there's a good reason for this exhortation. It's because we have a knack for forgetting things, even really important things. Now, of course, if I were to ask you, do you remember that Jesus has been raised? You would say, well, duh, of course. I know that he's been raised. I remember that. But the word remember doesn't just relate to being reminded of things that we've lost, lost information. Like if I lost, forgot somebody's name or a phone number or their address or something like that and I needed somebody to tell me, what's that person's name again? To be reminded or to remember also includes to be mindful of, to hold in memory or to keep in our minds. Peter, the Apostle Peter, thought it was good to remind people of things they already knew. And so all throughout the New Testament, you see the word remember over and over and over again. Here we're told to remember that Christ has risen from the dead. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13. He said, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them already, and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. Peter wanted to remind them of things they already knew. He wanted to help put these things on their mind because he loved them and cared about them. And he thought it was good and right to do this, to stir them up. And the idea of stirring up is to stir up their minds to remember. Well, that's what I want to do today. Today, I want to remind you that Christ has been raised. If there's anything that we need to have on the forefront of our minds, it is that Christ has been raised. We need to keep this on our minds, always on our minds. The tomb is empty. Amen? I'm convinced that when we're not, we don't have a lively apprehension and remembrance that the tomb is empty, we go through life deflated, defeated, timid, weak, and without much of a sense of purpose. We just kind of live, meander around, float here and there, do our own thing, build our own kingdom, but we don't have this pervasive, all-encompassing sense of purpose. When, however, we live in the light of the resurrection, our lives are characterized by hope and courage and purpose. So I want to stir you up by reminding you today that Jesus has risen from the dead, and I want to give you several reasons why this 
matters. Why does it matter that Christ has risen from the dead in 2023 for 21st century Americans in the midst of cultural revolution, sexual revolution, upheaval, all of this? Why does it matter? It does matter. So I'm going to give you six reasons why. First, remember that Jesus Christ has risen just as he said he would. Jesus has risen just as he said he would. I remember growing up, and maybe somebody else would remember hearing this as well. I remember growing up hearing that the old baseball player Babe Ruth, ever heard of Babe Ruth? Okay. That one time in a World Series game, he stepped up to the plate, he pointed to the outfield, and proceeded to hit a home run over the, field, over the wall where he pointed. Now that's pretty impressive, isn't it? I also remember hearing about a guy named Muhammad Ali. I'm sure you guys, many of you have heard of him. He would predict when he was going to knock somebody out, what round, and he would go out and do it. That's impressive. Apparently, I don't know anything about jiu-jitsu, okay? But apparently there's an American jiu-jitsu martial artist who predicts when he's going to beat, he's the best in the world, I guess. He predicts when he's going to beat someone and how. And he goes out and does it. It's impressive. But Jesus wasn't just predicting that he would rise from the dead. That would be impressive enough. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. It had been foretold that he would rise from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead just as he said he would be raised from the dead. He said over and over and over again, Things like this. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed and on the third day rise again. Now the question is, why must this happen? Well, of course, for our salvation, but also so that God's word would be fulfilled. God had spoken it. God had said this was going to happen. The prophets long before Christ came had predicted that Christ, the Messiah would come, he would suffer, he would die, and he would be raised from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead as he said he would. But there's actually something, I think, more astounding than that. When Jesus came out of the grave, he did something. He himself did something that he said he would do. Here's what I mean. Jesus said, I'm going to lay my life down and I am going to take my life back up again. Listen to John chapter 2. Now this is Jesus, he, after he does the miracle of turning water into wine, It's the Passover feast. He goes back to Jerusalem. He enters the temple. He sees a whole lot of blasphemous things going on, and he cleans house. You guys remember that story? He chases out the money changers. He turns over their tables, chases the animals out, and so forth. And the religious leader said, by what authority do you do this? And listen to what he says. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus said, destroy this body, put it on a cross, put it in the grave, and I will raise it up. I will raise up my own dead corpse. In John chapter 10, 
Jesus says the same thing. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Brothers and sisters, that is divine power. That is power. Jesus has risen from the dead as he said he would. A guy named C.S. Lewis uh, one time said that really when we, talk, when, we, when we refer to Jesus, we only have three options. Now, he was talking about, he was talking in reference to Jesus' claim to be the Son of God, but I think it applies here as well, that with Jesus, we have three options with him. Either he's a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's either a liar, and he says these things, but he's a fraud, and he can't do it, and he knows he can't do it. Or he's a lunatic, Right? He's, he's mad. He's insane. And he thinks he can do these things. I've met people like this before. Okay, He thinks he can do these things, but he really can't. He's a lunatic. Or he is Lord. Not just Lord of my heart. Not just Lord of Christian gatherings. Not just Lord of spiritual things, but Lord of all. Someone who says, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to take it up. He is someone who is Lord of lords and King of kings. Well, I think we're all in agreement that Jesus is Lord and his resurrection demonstrates his lordship. Uh, It was read earlier in John 20. What was Thomas's response to Jesus when he saw the nail piercings in his hand and side after doubting? He said, my Lord and my God. And every Christian, that ought to be our response to Jesus. My Lord and my God. He is our Lord. He is our God. What what does it mean that he's Lord? It means he's in charge. (laughs) Not you, not me. He's Lord. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Second, remember that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, which assures us of final judgment. It assures us of final judgment. Did you know that the resurrection of Jesus is proof that there will be a final judgment? We often don't think of judgment as a good thing, but we should. And of course, I don't mean kind of this sadistic way that we might think of judgment where we are bloodthirsty and we can't wait for Jesus to come and kill people. I don't mean that we should think of it as a good thing and like we just can't wait. But when Jesus comes again and judges the world, he's going to put everything right. And that is a good thing. That is a glorious thing. We were made in God's image. We are made in God's image. And there's a desire in us to see and know justice. For right judgment We rejoice when we see righteousness prevail. We lament when we see injustice or we see justice perverted, which we often do. Any any form of, any demonstration of justice in this world is only partial, but we do rejoice in it. We see a lot of injustice. We must remember that Jesus was raised from the dead and this is proof that there will be worldwide cosmic justice. Listen to how Paul explains this in Acts 17, 31. He is preaching to a group of um, 
unbelievers, philosophers in Athens. And he said this, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Do you hear what Paul's saying? He said, God has fixed a day of judgment. It is fixed. It's fixed. He's fixed the day. No one else fixes the day. God fixes the day. He's already fixed it, and he's appointed a man who will act as judge. And he's given assurance of this, both the day that it's fixed and the man who's going to judge, and he's given assurance by raising this man from the dead. Justice will be served in the whole world. He will judge in righteousness. Now, of course, no doubt Christians ought to be about justice in the world now. It's why Christians were on the front line to abolish slavery in the West. It's why Christians are today on the front lines of seeking to see abortion outlawed and abolished in our land and beyond. And it's why Christians vehemently oppose today the mutilation of children's bodies and what's so-called Uh, what's procedures that are so-called gender reassignment surgeries, these are matters of justice. These are matters of righteousness. And yet, we see so much injustice on these issues and so many other issues, which tempts us to lose heart. And so we need to remember that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The day of true and perfect judgment is appointed. It's coming. There is much evil and injustice in the world, Christian, but take heart. We have assurance that the judge of all the earth will do what's right. A few years ago, I had the privilege of addressing a subcommittee down at the state house. It was a pro-life bill that they were debating and going to vote on. And um, when you do something like that, they give you three minutes because they have about 30 or 50 people that are all going to share, and so you've got a little window of time. So you can't prepare a you know, six-point sermon. <laughs> you've got three minutes. And so I wanted to make sure I pressed home the point that these men and women who served in Congress here in, here in the state of Iowa were going to stand before Jesus Christ someday and give an account for how they serve in their station, and for how they voted on this bill and any future thing that they did in that office. I had a couple guys nodding with me like, yes, amen. I had a few that didn't like what I had to say, but that's okay. There's a day of judgment coming. We all need to know that. Christ has risen from the dead. Judgment is assured. Cosmic, universal, worldwide judgment. Third, Remember, Jesus Christ has risen. And so, you, if you are in Christ, if, you are, if you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, you are no longer in your sins. We often think of the cross as the place where our sins were dealt with, and for good reason, where they were toned for and where they were, were removed from us. I think it makes sense that we we think that way. It's right and good. Peter says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
right? It was on the cross that the payment for our sins was made, which is why Jesus said the words, it is finished, or more literally, paid in full. I love, we haven't sang Jesus paid all for a long time. Thank you, Luke, for pulling that out today. Jesus paid it all. What did he pay? He paid the full ransom payment for our sins to redeem us. But Paul makes this connection with the resurrection and our sins. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, you are still, and so am I, we're still in our sins, which means we are guilty for our sins. We're in the grip of the power of sin, unable to free ourselves, and we will suffer the consequences for our sins eternally. The cross only achieves what it achieves because Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, The cross only achieves what it achieves because Christ was raised. The cross is, is seen as a sufficient payment for our sins because Jesus rose again. The tomb is empty. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he may have been a good teacher. He may have been a good healer. He may have been a compassionate doer of all sorts of good things. He may have been a great martyr, the best martyr. But he could not be the forgiver of our sins and a powerful savior. But Christ has risen, just as he said, and therefore we are no longer in our sins. The guilt of sin has been removed. The death grip of sin that's kept us bound so that we can't be free from living in sin has been broken. Now, we talked about judgment earlier, and this needs to be pressed upon us because judgment's coming and everybody believer and unbeliever, will stand before Jesus Christ as judge. But for the Christian, for those who are in Christ, judgment is not meant to be a terror for us. And here's why. We are assured that the punishment for our sins has passed over us and has landed on Christ instead of us on the cross. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Fourth, remember that Jesus Christ has been raised and you have been given new life in him. It's wonderful to think and know that our sins are forgiven. It's precious beyond measure to know that we're no longer in our sins, that the price has been paid fully to redeem us from The penalty of sins, in one sense, without that, nothing else matters. If you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, nothing else matters before that. But the question remains, is there power to live a new life? Is there power to live a new life? Are we only forgiven sinners? Or are we, is there something more, like we become new people? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christians become new people. On the inside, new heart, new desires, 
Not perfect, okay? There's still a battle with the old nature. There's still that battle, but we become new people. Think about this. The the Bible describes your salvation and my salvation as a resurrection. Describes salvation as going from death to life. And it connects us to the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what Ephesians 2 says. But, but God, being rich in mercy... Actually, let me back up. Before this, it's talking about how uh, we're still living... In, before we were Christians, we were living in the flesh. We were by nature children of wrath. And then it says this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Think about that. You and I were once spiritual corpses. You know, I heard, I was talking to, a, uh, he is a friend, but he doesn't know Jesus yet. But I was talking to a friend and I was telling, telling him, uh, sharing the gospel with me. He said, you know, Christianity is a crutch for weak people. And I said, you know what? It's way more than that. It is good news for dead people. We need more than a crutch, brothers and sisters. We need to be raised from the dead. That is what people need. They don't need a crutch to help them get through life a little bit, you know, help them get along a little bit better because they, they got a limp. We were corpses and Christ raised us up to new life. There's an old Bob Dylan song. You didn't think you were going to hear a Bob Dylan song today, did you? Um... No, it, actually, I was reminded of it because Eden and I were in the car. My daughter, Eden, and I were in the car a few weeks ago, and she brought up Bob Dylan's name, and I'm like, he has a, at least one really amazing gospel song. I don't, know any other, I don't know any of his other stuff, hardly, but I could recognize his voice, but I don't know his music very well, but he has one amazing gospel song because I think he went, had the stint where he said he was a Christian, and I don't think he would claim that now. <clears throat> The name of the song is called Saved. Listen to these lyrics. I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead when I stepped out of the womb. By his grace I have been touched, by his mercy I've been healed, by his hand I've been delivered, and by his spirit I've been sealed. When God saves us, he brings us from death to life. When God saves a man or a woman or a child, he brings that man, woman, or child from being dead to being alive. He gives them a new heart, puts his spirit in them. And our lives are changed forever. We don't become perfect, but we become different people. We become new people. Paul describes it as becoming a new creation in Christ. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. The question is, are you in Christ? If you are, by faith, then you are a new creation. You are a new person. You've been raised with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And as a new person, there is now power to live a new life because you have this new heart. 
Remember, the, the problem is not, it's not mainly external things that make us do the things that we shouldn't do. It's a rotten heart. It's a rotten heart. It's a depraved heart. But when we become a new person, God gives us a new heart. Where before we hated God, we didn't want to follow his commands. We didn't want to do anything he said. We wanted, we wanted God off our back. And with a new heart, we love God. We want to do what pleases him. We don't always, but we want to. It's inconceivable to think that a man who has been raised with Christ could simply live like he always has. Selfish, proud, arrogant, angry. It's inconceivable to think that. And yet so many claim Christ and live like the devil, like they always have without any change in the heart, without any pivot point where they were raised to new life. Listen to Paul in Romans 6. He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Here's the rhetorical question Paul asks. He says, because grace is so amazing, right? You've heard people say, God loves us just the way we are. And of course, that's true. Because grace is so amazing, shall we just continue to live in sin and do what we want? And Paul says, by no means, or literally, God forbid. <clears throat> then it's interesting. Paul doesn't say, you better not do that. <clears throat> he says, if you're in Christ, you cannot do that. <clears throat> How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? You've been united to Christ in his death, in which you've died to sin. And if you've been united to Christ in his death, baptism, baptism is a picture of this. You go down under the water, you come back up. If you've been united to Christ in his death, you've also been united in his resurrection. You've been raised to newness of life. And that's where the power comes to live a new life. In the power of the Spirit. <clears throat> Remember, Jesus has risen from the dead. And if you are in him, You've been raised to newness of life as well. Number five, remember Jesus Christ has triumphed over death. And if you're in him, you will too. <clears throat> Listen, you and I are going to die. Okay? I just, I, I, I'm not really good friends with him, but I'm a guy I'm friends with, acquaintances, friends. I'd call him a friend. Yesterday, 24-year-old brother, was out jogging, a military guy died. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we're all going to die, every one of us. God knows. He's appointed that day, but we don't know when it's going to happen, but we're all going to die. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. We're all going to die. The day's coming. Unless the Lord Jesus returns first, we're going to die. These, these bodies are going to succumb to decay and disease and whatever else, and we're going to die. 
But because Christ's tomb is empty, that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. You see, here's the thing. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead in some kind of spiritual, ethereal way. Like some believe Jesus rose, like his body's still in the tomb, but he kind of rose in some mystical, spiritual way. That's not what happened. Jesus rose physically, right? He rose from the dead. As the grave clothes were lying in the tomb and Jesus wasn't in them. He rose physically. And because Jesus triumphed over death, everyone who trusts in him will also triumph over death. 1 Corinthians 15 describes Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep meaning physically died. When Jesus was referred to as the first fruits, it obviously points to him as the one who rose from the dead first. Right? He's, he's described somewhere else as the firstborn from the dead, but it also means that he is the guarantee. He is the guarantee of our resurrection. His resurrection represents ours, and it pays the entrance, entrance fee for our resurrection and therefore guarantees our resurrection. Now, maybe this is new to you, but I like to say this from time to time. Heaven is not the end for Christians. Going to heaven when we die is not the end. Did you know that? I heard somebody once say, hey, heaven's great, but it's not the end of the world. Because the eternal state is on a new earth that's renovated, resurrected, and we live here. We don't float in the clouds forever, right? We live on the earth with resurrected bodies. From the time that we die to the second coming of Christ, we will be with the Lord in heaven, no doubt. But exactly what that's going to be like, the Bible's not exact, totally clear. We know we're going to be with him, which is great, wonderful. Paul said it's better than, right, dying is gain to go to be with the Lord. But one thing is for sure, the consummation, the completion of our salvation is the bodily resurrection, when these mortal bodies put on immortality. Think about that. The millions of people who have trusted in Christ over the centuries, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of Christians who've trusted in him, some who's, you know, been, they've been dead for 2,000 years and their bones have decayed. When Jesus comes again, every body of all the saints who have trusted in him are going to come up out of the grave. So physical death, though a real enemy now, and it is a real enemy, it's called the final enemy, it's called the last enemy, it's a great enemy that each one of us are going to have to stare down. It does not have the ultimate victory. In Christ, we do. Christ will put this enemy under his feet once and for all at his second coming when you and I are raised and these mortal bodies that, are, that succumb to decay and perishability and all of that will put on immortality. So remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Sixth and final. Remember that Jesus has, been ris has risen from the dead, which means all of your life in your body now 
matters for his glory. It all matters. 1 Corinthians 15 says uh, something like this. I didn't look up the reference, but Paul says, if the dead aren't raised, if Christ wasn't raised and you're not going to be raised, he says this, let's just eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. In other words, if, if you're not going to be raised, just live any way you want. It doesn't really matter. Just live for yourself. Just do whatever pleases you. Eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. But the dead are raised. Jesus has been. You and I will be bodily. And so our lives matter. Our embodied lives matter. The way we live in these bodies now matter. At the end of the greatest chapter on the resurrection, and you've heard me reference it at least a few times today, 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's the best chapter on the resurrection. It's 58 verses on the resurrection. But here's how Paul wraps up that entire chapter. Like, he's talking about the glory of Christ's resurrection and our future resurrection, and then he says this, therefore, in other words, to wrap this up, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There, because Christ has been raised, because you're going to be raised too if you are in him to eternal life, <clears throat> be steadfast now, immovable now, always abounding in God's work, and do it knowing that your work in him is not in vain. It's not pointless. It's not meaningless. I find that really helpful for how to live. Now, don't think of the Lord's work as only spiritual things, like reading your Bible and telling people about Jesus and coming to church and things like that. That's, that, that's included. But as Christians... Isn't everything we do to be done in the Lord and for the Lord? Isn't it? I heard one amen, okay, from Zeke back there. Okay, I mean, that's true, right? Everything we do ought to be done in the Lord, for the Lord. Going to work, changing a diaper, making a meal, reaching out to your neighbor, being hospitable and having people into your home, all of it. I mean, is there anything that a Christian, well, let's put it this way. If there's anything a Christian can do that's not in the Lord, they shouldn't do it. So if Christ has risen as he said he would, and our sins are forgiven, and we have new life, and the assurance of victory over death, how should we live now? Well, Paul says, be steadfast. Endure, right? Be an enduring person. Be a persevering person. Christ is risen, and you're going to be raised too. And be immovable, okay? In the face of bad news and fake news and false philosophies and lies and deception that bombard you every day, be immovable. Christ has risen, and you will rise too. And abound in the work of the Lord. Always, without ceasing, Remember, I, I quoted this not too long ago. John, John Wesley once said, do as much good as often as you can to as many people as you can. I'm not going to get the whole quote right. Uh, 
for as long as you can to the very end of your life, right? Abound in the Lord's work. Build his kingdom. Be about building his kingdom, not your own. Abound in the work of the Lord and do this in hope that what you do in Christ is not empty. It's not pointless. We're not nihilists, right? We're not. It matters, and it matters eternally. There's this great quote. There's this great line in the movie, Gladiator, which is maybe not a family movie, but there's this great line at the beginning of it where the general, the Roman general, He's not a Christian, okay? He's a Roman, he's, you know, believed in probably a million gods or whatever. But he said to his soldiers, he said, what we do today echoes for eternity. What we do in this life matters eternally. It does. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. C.S. Lewis, in his book called Miracles, uh, said the following. He said, The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He's the first fruits, the pioneer of life, which I love that, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met and fought and he has beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he's done so. Amen? He has met, he has fought, he has beaten the king of death and everything is different. And we need to live our lives in light, always in light of the resurrection. We must remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He's the Lord of lords, the judge of all the earth, the forgiver of our sins, the one in whom we have new life, the resurrection and the life. And because he is risen, let us worship him and live for his glory and proclaim that he's alive. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you Wow, we thank you that your son Jesus is alive. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a myth. He's risen from the dead. And because of that, everything is different. He has met the king of death and he conquered him.